anyone else just so encouraged by testimony and prayer? Yes, so good. Um, before we get moving, I've just got to say that our God goes before. There were so many things that were shared on testimony and prayed in prayer that connect directly to the sermon. Like I feel like I'm just sort of connecting dots as to what the Lord has already spoken this morning. And so I'm going to try to connect some of those, but pay attention. Our God has a very clear message this morning, um, and it's so good. So today we are continuing on with Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and we're talking about consecration. Um, And really the question on the docket this morning is, consecrated for what? God says, you are holy. And then he says, be holy, be consecrated. And what are we consecrated for? What have we been called to be unified and set apart and holy for? And how is all that going to happen? And so to do that, to start to answer some of those questions, we're going to read from 1 Corinthians 1, 17. And we're going to go all the way to 1 Corinthians 2, 16. Um, And my husband has a much better speaking voice, I think, than me, ironically. And so we've got, (laughs) he's on the docket to read our scripture for this morning. So, Good morning, church family. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach... Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things, and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom from God, 
that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So with your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches for all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit whom is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For... Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. It's long, but it's good, huh? Yeah. Um, So before we start, I just want to name that I feel like the message this morning is quite simple. Actually, I'm not... You know, in true Paul fashion, I'm not going to try to give you fancy illustrations or long quotes. Um, I feel like the word speaks for itself this morning, and we're just going to unpack it. So my hope is that each one of us leaves with a clear sense of what God is calling for. And my, my hope really is that we leave with encouragement to fulfill that hope and that calling, and that we're just stirred to follow our Jesus this morning. And so if you're taking notes, this is a really nice three-point sermon. One, two, three. You're welcome, some of you. Yeah. Okay, so the first point answers those first two questions. 
of what are we set apart for? What is the purpose of this consecration that we're called to? And the answer is, point one, we are set apart to preach Christ crucified. Every single one of us. Notice in chapter 1, verse 17, just after Paul has appealed to the church to remain unified, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and not with eloquence, lest the cross be emptied of its power. So again, this doesn't mean that Paul doesn't think that baptism is important. Baptism is extremely, extremely important. But Paul is really zeroing in on the importance of preaching the gospel, which leads to baptism. And as Paul goes on to explain what he means, notice that he switches from those first-person singular pronouns. He stops saying I, and he starts saying we, us. Verse 18, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us. To you and I, to we, us who are being saved, that message is the power of God. Down in verse 22, Paul clarifies that we here, we, includes both Jew and Gentile believers. He says, the Jews demand signs and the Greeks look for wisdom, but we, Jew and Gentile in Christ, we together preach Christ crucified. Paul goes on to remind these Corinthian Christians that before they came to Christ, like all of us, very few of them were considered lofty people. They weren't lifted up in society. They didn't have great clout in the community. The vast majority had come to Jesus as weak, foolish, lowly, and the word despised is even in here, the lowest of the low. And yet, says Paul, it is God's delight to use the foolish to shame the wise. It's God's, delight, it's God's delight to use lowly in this world to bring down the high. Paul continues to use these first person plural we, us words to describe this message that is to be preached. Paul's making it clear that preaching Christ crucified isn't just for leaders. It's not just for preachers. It's not just for pulpits. It's not a role set apart for the learned or the wealthy ones. This letter is addressed to the whole church. So we together, says Paul, we Corinth, we Church Universal, and we Gold Avenue Church are all to preach the same message. Christ crucified. Did you know that you're called to preach? It's true. We all are. Now, we talked... A little bit about this during our time in discipleship groups, if you were in a discipleship group. We talked about the importance of being a witness of Jesus in our, in our context, whether that be at work or at school. But I think it's still safe to assume that whether we've talked about this or not, our reaction this morning is probably not that different from Corinth. Now, there may be some of us who are thinking, you know, like, I've got some teaching gifts and I like to share about Jesus and I'm okay with this. I think, I think I can do this. And then there's probably a vast majority of us going like, yikes. <laughs> I haven't really thought about this. And I don't really know where I would start if you said to me, go preach the gospel at work or at the family dinner table at Thanksgiving or whatever it might be. And then there's a few of us that are maybe in between. 
But wherever we're at in this response to Paul's charge this morning, Paul has some really great advice for us. And this brings us to point number two. Point number two, the Holy Spirit equips and empowers us to preach the gospel, which is the wisdom and the power of God. As Paul begins to explain how it is that we're to share the gospel, he has a sober warning for anyone who might believe that he or she is wise and can produce a convincing message on our own. Paul draws on a prophecy from Isaiah when he says, For it is written, I, that is God, will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the intelligent of the intelligent I will frustrate. Paul goes on to explain just how low our wisdom is as humans and just how powerless we are without him. Now remember, Corinth was a place full of wise people, philosophers and teachers that taught on different perspectives. Corinthians valued eloquent speakers, and they packed city squares and temples just to hear people talk. Romans and Greeks studied sociology and politics, and they were masters of worldly philosophy. And yet, Paul points out, all this wisdom in the world did not help the world to recognize Jesus. The Jews crucified him, and the Gentiles let it happen. The Jews, they had long studied scripture. They thought that they were wise enough to determine who their Messiah would be and what he would look like. They were waiting for a second exodus, led by a mighty, warring Messiah, and they were constantly looking for miracles, signs, wonders, power poured out to prove that God was once again coming to save them. And all that wisdom, all those years of reading and teaching and interpreting and dissecting, all the miracles that Jesus and his disciples performed, none of it was enough for them to recognize their king. Even today, some of the wisest, smartest, most powerful people on this planet fail to recognize the power of our God and his wisdom. So it's no wonder that Paul starts by saying he came not with wisdom and not with eloquence because he does not want the message to lose its power. This is a sober warning. It is actually possible for us to put so much of our own wisdom into a message about God that it loses the power. Now being wise or clever is not a bad thing. And the unwise or the less educated are not better than wise people. That's not the point. What Paul is saying is that we need to make sure that our wisdom comes from God. That it's rooted in the truth of what our God says. That we aren't drawing power or some sort of impressive presentation from ourselves, but from God and from his word. It's just easier to look for the wisdom of God when we know that ours doesn't really have power, right? Like, if you don't have it, you want it. If we know that we've got nothing to give, we're more willing to receive what God offers to us. So to that end, consecrating ourselves to preach the gospel means giving up our own minds. It means resisting our own striving and our own self-effort, and it requires tremendous humility to lay down our wisdom for the wisdom of our God. 
At this point in the letter, the Corinthians who think themselves wise are probably thinking like, okay, but then what What do I say, right? If, if I've got to lay me down, what, what am I putting out there? And the rest of the crowd is still thinking like, ay, 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 I don't even know, I don't even know where to start. And so Paul helps us all out. Listen, brothers and sisters, he says, before Jesus, we were nothing. Even I came to you in weakness and in fear, says Paul, when I came to preach. This is a strange thing to say because Paul's a really smart guy. He's a Pharisee. He's debated the whole world. But even he knew that all the wisdom that he had was nothing compared to the word of God and the power that resides within it. God doesn't require us to be the wisest. He doesn't require us to be clever or convincing. In fact, as we've pointed out, God chooses the foolish things, the weak things, the unconvincing and lowly things to shame the wise and the strong. This is how God works. He chose a tiny nation of Israel to save the whole world. He chose Gideon of the weakest clan to save his people. He sent Moses, a murderer who was literally terrified of speaking, to demand that Pharaoh set people free. God chose David, shepherd, and the youngest son to be king of a nation. He sent Jesus on earth not as a warrior but as a baby. And then he chose fishermen and a prostitute to follow him. He chose shepherds to proclaim his birth So if you feel weak or you feel unworthy or unequipped, whatever it might be, you're in good company. God has little to no value for the things that this earth raises up. And he uses the weak who depend on his strength to bring them low. Paul calls this message of power foolish. Strange thing to think about, but in Roman times, people didn't wear cross necklaces. They didn't decorate their homes with crosses. Crosses weren't popular, you know, sort of whimsy household items. They were shameful. Crosses were where shameful people went to die. They weren't that different from the modern-day electric chair. You wouldn't put that in your house, would you? You wouldn't preach a gospel of the electric chair. In Roman times, kingdoms were conquered by strategic leaders and by mighty armies. And so this idea of a shameful criminal crucified on a crude wooden cross somehow being the way to salvation for the world, it's crazy. It's foolish. It's bizarre. Greeks and Romans literally thought that crosses were too shameful to talk about. That's why they put them outside the cities. And Jews were offended that someone who found himself on a cross would claim to be their Messiah. It's terrible. Cross isn't fun to talk about or think about. And even today, it's easy to sort of preach around that cross, isn't it? Because the story of a man, beat, bloody, dying on a cross for sins, requires us to really look at sin. To be aware of sin. The cross requires that we see the depth of our own bentness, our own complete inability to save ourselves. It requires that we give up ourselves, what we want, what we think, 
and take up what he thinks. Cross requires humble worship and gratitude. Even in today's church, the cross isn't a popular message. We'd much rather talk about love and justice and the fruits of the cross, but things that we just can't fully understand if we don't get what happened here. As Paul points out, this seemingly foolish, simple yet profound message is the only one that's going to save the world. And no matter how much the world changes, the message of that cross never fails to be true. It's never less true. That's why Paul says it's the message of Christ crucified. I think it was Caroline who prayed about how the tomb is the womb for hope. You can't have that birth of hope if you don't understand the tomb and what it costs. So how does God do it? How does he take weak, sinful, uneducated, insecure people with this foolish, radical message to somehow level the spiritual and physical authorities of this earth? 1 Corinthians 2, starting at verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom. So this isn't a message completely void of wisdom. It's just void of earthly wisdom, right? We speak it among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that's been hidden, that God destined for our glory, our glory before time began. None of the rulers of the age understood it, because if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, these are the things that God has prepared for those who love him. This is the word of hope that Pastor Dave brought like seven minutes ago. These are the things God has revealed to us by the Spirit. Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except his spirit. We have received. It is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given. We have the mind of Christ. Church says, Paul, that Holy Spirit that lives in you is the very spirit of God. It searches the mind of God and it searches your own mind and your own spirit It's the spirit that wrote the word of God, that wrote the message of the gospel, and it's the source of power. All the wisdom in the world is confined in that spirit and in that message. All the power of the world is found in there, or the power that matters, rather. And it's that message that with it he will come with wisdom and with power. The message is already written. And the power is in the message. And so by God's spirit, all of us can be equipped and empowered to preach this message of Christ crucified. And this message has inherent within it the power to change hearts and minds and people and nations. And as we've said, it doesn't require a pulpit or a platform. We preach Christ crucified in the way that we present ourselves with humility. We preach him in the way that we share our stories and give glory to what God has done in our lives. We preach Christ crucified in the way we raise our children and the conversations we have with our neighbors. Every time we preach of the gift of redemption and what it's done for us, we preach Christ crucified. 
Every time we point people to our own desperate need and the world's need for salvation, the work of that cross and the power of God at work around us. It doesn't have to be fancy or eloquent. In other places, people who preach the gospel are called witnesses. Have you seen God at work in your life? You've witnessed something. You've got something to say. And this brings us to point number three. Not only does the Holy Spirit equip and empower us to be witnesses to our Christ crucified, the Holy Spirit brings salvation. Paul says that those who do not have the Spirit do not understand the things of the Spirit. So the converse of that is true. When God sends his Spirit, people understand the things of the Spirit. Have you ever had that as you walk with the Lord? Like things just start to make more sense. That passage in scripture that like blew your mind before is suddenly just so good, right? The Holy Spirit does that work. And so when we preach the words of the Spirit, the Spirit moves in power. And he equips people to hear and to understand. And as they believe, as faith stirs in them by his Spirit, people understand the things of the Spirit. And when they understand, and when they have faith to believe, then the power of God starts to work in their lives. Friends, as we look around the world, as we look at the world around us, it's, it's just really clear. The world needs truth, don't they? They need salvation. They need to know the truth. The things they read on the news and on social media, it's not wise. It sounds wise. It's not. It sounds like it'll have power in their lives, but it doesn't. The world needs to know Christ crucified. And the world needs the power of God at work in their lives. It's not a complicated message. In fact, it's a message that when given is powerfully effective. The world isn't going to hear that message or be changed by it if you and I don't share it. So church, the point is really simple. Paul's saying be be consecrated. Give the Lord your mind and your body, your person, your thoughts, your wisdom, anything that you've got, give it to him that we might together preach Christ crucified by the power of his spirit. Let the world know about the forgiveness of sins, the righteousness that comes, the holiness that shines in the darkness, so that the world will know. So that the world might walk in that righteousness and bear that holiness. Be consecrated so that we will come to see and know those deep mysteries. That glory that he set us apart for. Church, let's be consecrated so that the world might see and know our crucified Christ. Amen.